It's Emily here, and today I want to invite you to make sure to check out Robinhood Integrative Health. If you are a resident of the Winston-Salem, North Carolina area, and you're looking for a doctor who treats you differently, looks deeper into the issues that you're having, and seeks to hear you as a person and really help to get you better, then I can't recommend Robinhood Integrative Health, where Dr. Wiggy practices enough. Make sure that you go to their website and see how you can benefit from their services today. And did you know that they even take some insurances, which basically never happens in integrative medicine. So make sure to check them out and enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Healthy Discourse. It's Emily here with Dr. Wiggy, and we are going to dive into a topic today that I think there's a lot of curiosity around, especially after the last three years as people have been paying a lot more attention to healthcare and insurance and so forth, and that is how physicians and offices and healthcare providers are incentivized by insurance companies and the different ways that that can look. And Wiggy is going to be speaking only from personal experience, which obviously he is in a private practice. We do have some kind of um, anecdotal and secondhand information from those working within healthcare systems that we'll share with that being said that this is not direct information that we're 100% sure of. But Wiggy has a really great personal example of um, how this can look and what is incentivized and what is not and what, quote, health looks like and how that's defined by the traditional healthcare system. So without further ado, will you tell us a little bit about um, your experience working with insurance companies? And we're going to speak specifically about this organization that you were connected with for a while because we thought it would be a good fit because it was all about wellness care, right? And prevention and all of these buzzwords that are so great. And we um, we (laughs) realized after not a very super long time that perhaps um, the motives or the, I shouldn't say motives, the incentives that were being offered maybe weren't quite as in line with what we define as wellness. So, So, yeah, so we're in in a unique position uh, with our practice because we, one of our missions really is to reach and be able to help as many people as possible. And whether we like it or not, the the system really is built around um, health insurance uh, and being able to offer care to those that, that have insurance. Um, most integrative doctors do not follow that model. Mm-hmm. I'd say 99% of them, they've gone pretty much com- exclusively to cash because, uh, one, it's easier uh, because you just can do a direct um, direct interaction with each patient. But then the other thing is it's, it is somewhat freeing because you don't have to deal with all the, um, all the challenges that come along with uh, accepting health insurance, but again, because because we do feel like it's part of our calling, part of our mission to help as many people as we can, uh, we've decided to continue to take insurance, and 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 I, st- and I do believe it's still the right thing to do. Um, so initially, you know, when we were uh, 
really, you know, we've been open for 11 years now. So originally, uh, our interaction with health insurance was pretty straightforward. It was just, you know, there's a fee for service. So you do a, you know, certain uh, visit encounter, certain level visit, and you get you have a specified amount that you get for that visit. And that's that's the way that most insurance uh, companies are are set up, and the contract with with most with most uh, private practices, and probably with a lot of the uh, healthcare organizations. Uh, so there wasn't a whole lot of interaction necessarily. I mean, there were certain things that maybe certain letters that we would get to say that, hey, you're coding a little bit differently than, you know, other people that are in uh, primary care or, you know, we've, we've had some notices like that. But generally it wasn't a, um, it wasn't a big deal. We were just can we were basically just paid a certain amount for the type of visit and complexity of visit that, that we saw. And, and like I said, that wasn't, a, that wasn't a big deal in itself. I mean, generally what that does incentivize, though, when you have that sort of arrangement, you, you're basically incentivized to see as many people as you possibly can. Right. Because you're only paid per visit. Mm -hmm. So you have to get in a lot of visits in order to uh, even be profitable. Enter the five-minute doctor visit, yep. right? And so then that's, that's one of the issues is that, and that's one of the, one of the uniqueness, unique things for us is that if we were just, just to rely on insurance reimbursements, we actually wouldn't be... Um, we wouldn't be able to be profitable. So we'd have to see probably two or three times the number of patients on a daily basis in order just to make enough, in order to, to pay all of our staff and pay, pay our overhead. Um, so we've had to be more creative and have more, more uh, revenue streams and, and have other ways to make up that deficit. So there's a, there's a problem in it, that in itself. Just you, if you're going to incentivize doctors based on the number of patients they see, that really encourages them to see let to see more people shorter period of time focus on one specific problem and then go on to the next person right so that that in itself uh, is, a, is a bit of a restriction but like i said fortunately for us we're creative our our, our practice is creative enough where we've kind of figured out ways to to do it and still still not you know still still spend 30 minutes with each person you know 45 minutes for new people so that was our original kind of a, arrangement and then um what we were trying to do is we were trying to get into contract with some other insurance companies. United is one of the ones that we've never been able to get in contract with. All right. Because they were actually willing to pay us like peanuts mm -hmm. uh, for our for our visits. So there's no way we could even make up that deficit. So we were we we actually hired a company to kind of help negotiate a contract for us, and they went back and forth with United a hundred times and they still we still couldn't come up with anything that was even reasonable right uh, that's one of the reasons why united is so big is because they they can keep rates low and they don't pay they don't pay doctors very much so um but that was so that was one of uh unfortunate things we weren't able to get in contract with united because we'd still love to be in contract with united we have right. patients ask all the time can you can you do that um, but unfortunately they've never come to the table um, so we're, we're still waiting for them to offer us something reasonable, mm -hmm. uh, where that, that makes more sense. But the other thing that, uh, we worked with this, this third party, as far as contract negotiations, uh, they did get us into, uh, what's called an ACO an, an accountable care organization with one of our other insurance contracts, mm -hmm. uh, that we had. And that's, that's, this was this, uh, organization that you were referring to where we were kind of plugged into it. It did offer uh, better rates, so that was kind of the the attractiveness of it. But it came with some strings attached, mm -hmm. uh, which was where we're like, "Is this going to make sense for us or not?" And and you know, honestly, it was there was some hesitation on both sides of mm -hmm. the of the 
conversation because we're like, you know, we really don't just do primary care or traditional medicine. You know, we're much more holistic. We do things we th- do things differently. We uh, we have certain things that we believe in, certain things we don't believe in, and so we, we're going to continue to practice the way that we practice. And um, this may not necessarily align exactly with what you want us to be incentivized to do. And so we were honest with them. They were honest with us too, and so we appreciate that because they said, "Well, maybe you're not the best. Right. Maybe you're not the best fit uh, for this ACO." And so we went into it with some hesitation to begin with. Am, am I correct though that that specific ACO was supposed to be? focused on like prevention what they called prevention yeah. wellness well i think that most acos that's that's how they present themselves as being focused on prevention and wellness because in their mind what basically their job is their job is to save the insurance company's money right but then by doing so there's some profit sharing or there's some of that shared savings right. that is then distributed to the doctors. That's kind of the that's mm-hmm. the concept behind the the ACOs, but really at its core, it is to save the insurance companies right. uh, money. That's really right. what the what the point of a point of it is. So yes, the, their focus was on in their I I think their words would be wellness and prevention. Um, but that really means a lot different when you're looking at it from a traditional standpoint versus an integrative standpoint. Right. So talk a little bit about what they what the metrics were that they looked at with the patients that were a part of this particular insurance company that in their opinion measured mm. wellness health that you would then be incentivized on yeah it was really pretty basic stuff <laughs> mm-hmm. actually and which is where it's it's hard to even say there's a lot of wellness uh, with it but they they measured a couple things um, and I don't, I don't even know if I remember all of these, uh, exactly, but I know one of them or some of them for the adults, uh, were things like blood pressure, uh, measurement, um, hemoglobin A1C, so diabetes control. Then, then it was really more about screenings. So like mammograms and colonoscopies, okay. those were the primary variables for adults. Uh, for kids, uh, also again, pretty straightforward and pretty basic. Uh, their metrics for kids were well child checks. Were they coming in for their for their well child checks? And then were they uh, were they getting all their vaccines? Those mm-hmm. were kind of the two metrics for kids. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you talk, let's go back to adults. When you're talking about that, was it monitoring their numbers and like or that they were, I mean, you said controlled, right? So, for example, if my A1C is out of control, that you put me on a medication, essentially, to help control my mm-hmm. insulin blood sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so basically, is the, it starts off with what diagnosis codes do they have. Okay. So, if there's someone has a diagnosis code of diabetes, uh, especially type 2 diabetes, then they wanted to see what their hemoglobin A1Cs were. Uh, same thing with, with hypertension. They want to make sure that their blood pressures were in a were in a certain range. Um, so, on paper, it it doesn't. I mean, it's, in a lot of ways, it makes sense. You want to be you want numbers. You want to know where these numbers are, and you want to make sure that they're um, kind of within this this particular range. One thing that's a little bit was a little frustrating from an adult standpoint is that not necessarily disincentivizes, but there was a bit of a uh, incentive to continue to have the patients be diabetic 
and hypertensive because that that goes into the diagnosis codes that you can use as part of the complexity of patients. Mm. So it's weird, but it's the complexity of the patient actually mattered a lot as far as how much they were expected, the insurance company was expected to spend on each person. So the higher complexity of a patient, the more that that was kind of allotted to each person. Mm-hmm. And then if you can come in underneath that, that's where that shared savings was. I see. But, you know, we do, and this is where, again, it's a little bit different different perspective. We really want to reverse diabetes. You know, we want to get people where their A1C no longer qualifies to even be called diabetic. Right. We want them to be no longer diabetic. We want them to be normal. And so, uh, but if you do that and you get rid of that disease, then that lowers the complexity of the patient. And so there's this kind of a weird kind of disincentive around that. So ultimately, it sounds like what they most reward is for you to have a lot of sick patients that continue to take medications to, quote, maintain or yeah, I mean, they, yeah. Their, their status. Yeah, and it's, it's weird because, and this is why I don't know, and I know there's, there's reasons for everything, but it, it does seem like a weird incentive to have the higher complexity of patient. Right. So that's have. what I was going to say. So basically, if I if if you have just a bunch of super healthy people, mm-hmm. then that isn't as incentivized as complex sicker patients that continue to have a lot of needs. So yeah, so I mean really there's you want to have as many complex diagnosis codes for each patient as possible. Mhm which again does not align with what we want. Which it, which also doesn't make sense because I can't I mean and again I'm with you there must be reasons but like that costs the insurance company more money, right? More visits, For sure. more Absolutely. more more. Absolutely it does. So that's why I think there's a disconnect. So I, I yeah. think if this is truly them trying to, you know, save money, the better thing is to get people off medications right. and get them I healthy. Mean, Right, because like the cheapest patient would be someone that pays their health insurance every month and never has any needs. Yes. I would imagine, right? Yes, those are the health. Those are the. <laughs> those, those are the, are the people that support the for system. Sure. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. Interesting. Okay, so let's talk about kids because what? Here's one thing. I actually asked Wiggy this question because if you didn't know, we're expecting a baby in October. We haven't had a newborn in a long time, and. I asked him, and we also are in the process of welcoming a new pediatrics provider into the practice, and I got to help with that some, and I was like, so when we're thinking about this, like, what is the purpose of these well-child checks? Like, why are why do you have to have them so close together, and then there's, like, these long periods in between all of a sudden, and he was like, well, that's the vaccine schedule, and I'm like, oh, okay, I see. So what we call well-child checks, where they do these very basic... You know, they, I mean, I'm trying to remember. They weigh, they weigh the baby. They like listen to their heart. They, I mean, check their organs and hips, mm-hmm. and then they give them vaccines. And that's based. I'm can't. I mean, isn't that it? Like, is Pretty there much. anything else? Pretty much. I don't remember anything else ever happening, um, unless it actually turned into a sick visit because someone had something. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there. Of course, there's there's purposes for well child checks. It's it's. It's catching things early. Sure. You know, especially when the when they're newborns or when there's when they're really young. That is the time you can catch if there is some abnormalities, and yeah. so you can kind of 
see well, if there's something that's not working right. I mean, I was talking to my midwife and who was I was talking to somebody else about this too. The pressure um, of these of the weight checks with these new babies and it's just like mm-hmm. so intense and the the charts that it's based off of it's like well where did this even come from are these breastfed baby or not well it comes from the who well i don't know about y'all but i don't trust the who but it's just kind of like who yeah who i know what yes i know what it's <laughs> not everyone for. might know what who is <laughs> and like and but there's so much pressure that it's like Oh, oh, I know who I was talking about. A friend who had a baby in the NICU. She had twins, and one of the babies had to be in the NICU. And she was trying, she had one baby at home, one in the NICU, and she's trying to pump for the baby in the NICU while nursing this other one. And she knew because of how much the healthy baby was eating that the other baby was eating plenty because they were eating the same. And yet they were like, it's not enough, it's not enough. She's not getting enough weight, she's not getting enough weight. And so they wanted to give her this, like, kind of crazy supplement. And she had to fight really hard for that. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is so much pressure. Sorry, that's a whole other topic. But anyway, so the well-child checks basically are around the vaccine schedule. And not that they don't serve a purpose other than that because we do want to always catch things early. Yeah. Um, And, of course, at, at our practice, we do wellness care as well that, is based on a lot broader, yes. Um, you know, mineral deficiencies and gut health and all these things that actually matter for wellness. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, so what happens when you don't have a lot of quote compliant families that choose to follow their own vaccine schedule or yeah. not do every last well child check or choose not to vaccinate at all? Yeah, so this is really where we got into trouble with the with the ACO and why we're actually no longer with the with this particular uh, company. Which, in a lot of ways, it, it was I think it was best again for both sides. It just it just didn't make sense uh, because what was what's kept track of um, with these uh, organizations? It, it has kept track of how many well child checks has this patient had, and are they compliant with the vaccine schedule? And basically, if they don't have both of that, they're seen consistently, or they're not fully up to date on their vaccine schedule, then actually the practice gets dinged. And so we have kind of a negative um, incentive mm-hmm. uh, that you may not qualify for some of the shared savings. You may not qualify, or you may not, no, you may no longer be able to be part of the of the organization. And so there's a lot of pressure on practices to make sure that kids are being seen cons- consistently, right? but that they're also getting the vaccines consistently. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that was one thing where we, we were just could not, we could not see eye to eye on, on that because with our practice, of course, we believe in medical freedom and we believe in parent parents choice, choice mm-hmm. and working with the parent and individual um, decision-making where it's where it's what's best for this particular child at this particular time and then kind of saying this what you know and then helping helping them help guide them to what seems to make the most sense and so because we allow a lot of that flexibility and we we really do encourage just just wellness and we um we do not we do not just comply by the schedule 
that's where we had a lot of negative points. Yeah. And so because we weren't able to make up those negative points, they said, you, you guys really are not a good fit Dismissed. for the company anymore. And so, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're no longer with the, with the ACO. But again, I think was, was, was best. But it did really open my eyes to how practices are incentivized. And you can use different words for that. I mean, you can use coerced you can use somewhat manipulated mm -hmm. into doing it because like I said if you don't you're either kicked out or there is a negative financial repercussion mm -hmm. if you don't do it right and so this is where there's a little bit of confusion because I think a lot of people think that doctors directly are getting a kickback right. from the insurance companies if right. you vaccinate a kid right that's not that's not how it works yeah. and that's generally not how it works for most private practices the only sort of incentive structure that I was even aware of that I've seen is again through this ACO where you have to get a certain number of metrics, certain number of kids, all fully compliant. Then you reach a certain threshold and then you have additional bonuses. Right. So there, that was definitely a incentive mm -hmm. to vaccinate every child as directly for right. sure. But again, most most of the time, there's not a direct incentive from the insurance company to the provider. To the specific provider. Right. Okay, so here's what I want to clarify on top of that is here's what we know is happening generally because I have so many people reach out to me and we work with a lot of pediatricians who have left the quote system to do something different. Um, as we just said, they are not directly incentivized and... A lot of them are not, didn't, have just recently realized that this is actually happening because none of that money goes, is like what you said, directly tied to the provider, mm -hmm. but it is tied to the organization. And so what we see happening more and more is the large conglomerates um, now that own all the private, what used to be private practices, so all the pediatrics offices that fall under this big umbrella now I'll have this blanket policy that either you follow the schedule to a T or you're out. Mm -hmm. That is, yeah. the, that is, and so what, what is probably happening that we think is happening and, um, is that these large conglomerates are, they're the ones that are incentivized. So it's the big guys making the money. It's not the individual provider. So it's not like, when you walk into your pediatrician's office and your child gets vaccinated, that that physician just right. got a hundred dollars or right. whatever. That's not generally right. how no, it works. It's not. Now, I will say, on the other hand, there does seem to be, you know, every conglomerate also has incentives, and doctors do get bonuses for, and it's not terribly different from what I understand for what is incentivized. So. There might be some, you know, you're not eligible for a bonus if you don't have X amount of patients. What I've heard is happening recently, though, is that the providers are actually, well, I heard about this happening. A, a provider who was parent-supported, parent-supportive, parent-choice-supportive, I should say, that works for a larger conglomerate, um, a lot of those patients were dismissed by not the provider, but the front office, the people that work in the front office were told, you need to call these people and tell them that they're kicked out. Mm -hmm. So that's not the provider doing that. Again, it's right. the, or it's the company, the organization, which likely is because these 
if I keep these patients around, they aren't quote compliant, which means we don't get our bonuses or we're dinged financially yeah. from the, the insurance companies essentially. Sure, yeah. So we can't we can't <clears throat> speak to every every organization and every healthcare system. So we don't we don't know what their agreements are with every right what with every health insurance company. But it would definitely make sense, again, especially just a little limited experience that I had with an ACO, that if your practice dependent on that bonus, you mm-hmm. know, to, to continue to stay open and you were getting negatively dinged for every patient that wasn't fully compliant on the vaccine schedule, I could see how that'd be very easy for a organization to make the decision that if this, if patients are not mm-hmm. up to date on all vaccines, that we need to kick them out. Right. Because then that would show us that they're no longer... They're no longer getting that negative, you know, uh, feedback uh, from that, and that's not negatively affecting what their what their financial incentive would be. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, that that we every healthcare organization has to make their own decisions, but I can see that that would make sense why that's happening because right. everyone knows that that's happening. Mm-hmm. That if you are if you are trying to you know have a alternative schedule, or if you just decide that you don't want to do vaccines then you're going to get kicked out of a lot of yeah. pediatric offices, and it seems to be getting worse. It's definitely gotten worse. Um, I think, I mean, this is Emily's prediction. This is my conspiracy theorist coming out, perhaps. But I really think that the, well, it seems the timing correlates with the very low uptake of the childhood, the child COVID vaccines seem to correlate at the same time that there was a crackdown on all of the um child vaccines and i don't know i have no idea who how organizations were incentivized we know that they were paid a lot of money but we don't know those specific numbers and there does seem to be a lot of correlation with that so i don't know if that has anything to do with it or not of course there that vaccine is not on the childhood schedule technically as of right now but Mm. might likely be added we'll see maybe um and it's state by state as well. Yeah. So, uh, but it's it's just a very complicated, complex way of doing things. And I think this is a good time to point out that this is why alternative options like um, health savings accounts and that kind of thing, where you can choose your your care, but also this big move toward direct primary care, yeah. where literally the doctor works for the patient. You are mm-hmm. paying your doctor directly to have access to them and their expertise without any other strings attached. And um, there's a lot more of those practices opening, some of them pediatric, some not. Um, A lot of them do offer family medicine, kids and adults. Um, And that can be a great alternative because you kind of get all that stuff out of the way. Yeah. And the, the truth is our insurance system our insurance and um, big medicine, corporate medicine system that works very closely together with the pharmaceutical companies, uh, it's not necessarily focusing on what many would consider patient-centered care or wellness care for sure. Um, And it's kind of like, well, this is how it's always been. Well, I think a lot of people are wanting something different, and the more that that happens, hopefully the more pressure there will be to move away. And so, you know, there's there's also, I know there's a lot of new health sharing companies. They tend to offer a lot more flexibility, higher deductibles, and that kind of thing. But then 
you get to make your own decisions and you spend that money versus your premium every month. You're spending that money on the providers that do support your your desires as a family. So yeah. I just want to leave it with that there well, are know, there are options. Yeah, and I would say we don't know what all the solutions no. are, are going to be. I think that there has to be some creativity behind it, mm-hmm. you know, because it, like we said at the beginning, the the medical system is built around health insurance right now. Mm-hmm. So I do think DPC is a potential avenue. I think health sharings is a potential avenue, but that's going to take a long time mm-hmm. to get away from the model that we're currently in. So we continue to see, you know, health insurance as being a um, an important part of just uh, people getting care, and so that's one of the reasons why we are really trying to expand our our pediatric offerings mm-hmm. uh, at our practice because there's a huge huge demand now mm-hmm. for supporting parents, uh, helping parents, you know, giving them the the option to decide what is best for their child because the, there's not many options right now. Right. Uh, and, and yes, there are there are few here and there, you know, sprinkled in and out, and there are a few DPCs that are doing this. But until the system really changes, we kind of have to work within the system that, that there is. So well, I really feel like there's a there's a great opportunity to help a lot of kids this way where we are basically becoming a pediatric primary home mm-hmm. for they can they can come come to our practice you know we can give parent parental choice uh, we still offer you know medical freedom uh, and then we offer actually a better form of wellness Absolutely, you know yeah. so we're not just going to say we'll, we come in we'll weigh you and check your vision and then you're good to go you know we will talk about other things that I think really matter nutrition uh, stress sleep gut well, and the you know, truth nutrients. is, no one stays well forever. And no, so. and, you, and we have this, and we do have to start younger now. Mm-hmm. So I really think that, um, and this is hopefully going to be a big focus for the practice over the next couple of years. I'd really like to grow it a lot uh, mm-hmm. because we do have a pediatrician on staff now, and she's fantastic, and she's helping a lot of really sick people. But I think that there is a need just for a good pediatric primary home mm-hmm. to help people stay well and continue to offer. Uh, parental choice and medical freedom, and so that's that's been a big push, and I'm I'm really um, motivated by that because I think there's so many people that are left out to dry mm-hmm. um, when they're like, well, you can't come here, so right. good luck. And we want to be a place, the safe place for per, uh, parents and families to land, and be like, okay, yeah, we'll we'll be happy to see you. We'll help you navigate this healthcare system. And we're definitely not going to force you to do anything. Right. One thing I want to point out, which I think is just something that we should think about as taxpayers and citizens, is I find that the people that are stuck the most are those whose children are on Medicaid Mm -hmm. because it's hard to find a Medicaid provider anyway. And talk about being told what to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, they act like, uh, and people probably don't know this, but when, when you adopt out of foster care those children have Medicaid until they're 18. So two of our children have Medicaid. I have seen the vast difference between how you're treated with it kind of just being like, oh, they, there's just this assumption that you're going to do whatever we say mm-hmm. because of the way that, again, everything is incentivized. And um, I'm finding that I have the hardest time when families reach out to me helping those families because they have the fewest options. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily have the financial means to pay out of pocket to right. see somebody. And then, but on the other hand, I'm like, this is taxpayer funded medical care. So this is all of us paying into this. 
for these families to be told that you have to do this or else and there's no other option. So that's just something that everyone should really think about. Is that how we really want our tax dollars to be spent? Um, that these parents are stuck between not having their primary medical home and only using the urgent care or the emergency room if they have an urgent need or, you know, you just have to follow the schedule and sit sit down and be quiet. And it's just, it's really very, it's very unfair. Yeah. And, I mean, to me, that's very discriminatory um, toward those families. So that's just my soapbox. Sure. But anyway, so this is a conversation. Unfortunately, I don't have every last solution. But like Wiggy said, um, our, our office is trying really hard to expand what we can offer to in the pediatrics realm, and we're not the only ones, which is awesome. There are, um, I know of several direct primary cares across the state that have popped up that are led or include pedi pediatri pediatricians or pediatrics providers as well. So that's always really exciting when those mm -hmm. open, um, and very proud of those providers for taking a stand too. So sure. anyway, thank you so much for joining us as always. This will be a great episode for you to send us your messages of any personal experience that you might have, anything that we might need to know about because like we said, we have limited, we only know what we've been exposed to. So we'd really love to hear any other personal stories that you guys are interested in sharing and you can do that by sending us a message if you're listening on spotify too so thank you so much for listening always we appreciate you and we'll catch up next time